Okay, I think we are basically off. Tekle Heimenot, Weldon Mikael, thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Skander. I'm joined by Jamie, as always. Welcome to Rising with the Tide podcast. Today's a slightly different topic than what we're used to, uh, but we're still very, very happy to, to have this conversation. Um, Tekla here with us is a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Geography for the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Trondheim in Norway. Uh, so not too far away from uh, where I'm at in Oslo. Uh, we're both residents of the northern uh, northern state. Mm -hmm. I first came upon your work, uh, Tekla, in... Um, I think on, on Twitter, just kind of, you know, canvassing around for, for guests and for research and stuff. And it's not often, I think, that you find uh, papers and such written about, about the environmental consequences of ongoing conflicts. I think a lot of the research that you see is, is like, you know, oh, what has been the uh, environmental impact of, let's say, like the war in Kosovo and things like that, because people have had time to kind of separate themselves from from that um but you seem to have you know taken a quite sudden interest in what has been a very sudden in a way war i guess my my first question in all of this is your research up to when the war properly started was around if i'm not correct me if i'm wrong but was around fencing and uh kind of conservation topics a lot of the time and it seems that your interests because of this have kind of taken a very quick turn towards the Tigray region. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about kind of your personal, uh, your personal journey into this kind of topic and, and area? Yeah, Th thank you for, for having me on this uh, episode. And uh, thank you for inviting me to, to discuss Tigray, the topic, uh, a very difficult topic no for, for, for myself. Uh, as you said, I prior to the war, I, I I just finished my PhD during the war, like uh, defended my PhD during the war, and the PhD topic that I was working on was on other countries in Africa, in Kenya and Tanzania, and the focus of the project was on conservation policies in Kenya and Tanzania. So I had several, I think like five five papers, five journal articles on different topics within the the Kenya Tanzania region. Um, but of course, that, it was also about environment, about the environment and society um, in, interconnections and uh, society and environment relations. Uh, some of the, one of the paper, for example, was on fencing and how land uh, change in land policies resulted in in um, in fencing of the landscape, which used to be open. We have uh, other papers on violence, on state violence in in, in relation to conservation. Uh, implementation of conservation policies. Uh, my sudden, or well, sort of sudden, uh, switch to, to the Tigray topic came came with the war. Um, uh, when the war started, uh, you're often caught up in daily, uh, heartbreaking, very difficult um, mm -hmm. uh, events that that catch your attention. For example, you have the killings, you have massacres, you have all kind of uh, disasters that are often reflect from, from the side of he, he, the effect of the war on human, humans directly. Um, but there are topics that are 
that don't become apparent when when the war is going on for example what mm. what is the, the the effect of a war the long term effect of a war on on the environment what is uh, how is the future of this uh, this place that region going to be uh, in post war situation if if there is a post war situation that is uh, so this is a topic that many people don't uh, necessarily see uh, when when those events are unfolding uh, because you're caught up in a daily daily events daily daily crisis events so that's that's how i i came i came to to, to write about the, the environmental impacts of the war and of course the the work wasn't conclusive it, it just um, kind of present, presents us a projection of what, what may have what may have unfolded in Tigray, what may what may unfold in terms of environmental impact in, in Tigray, to just spark a discussion on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe you know, I I feel uh, like it's potentially a, a sad truth to to say, but not many people in the West, in the so-called West, would be very familiar with. Um, you know what's I, I think it's safe to say with just the, the daily going ons of uh, of Ethiopia of Eritrea like in general, but probably even more with what's happening in Tigray. I mean, I um, you know very often I think that we we are told things through the news cycle, and the news cycle leaves behind a lot of what's happening in in the global south and in places like Africa and Asia, um, do you feel like the Tigray crisis has been kind of left behind a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, like, um, I, well, so originally I, I am from Tigray. I, I was born and raised in, in Tigray and I studied. And so the first, the, the first time I moved up, out of the country was when I, when I came to, to study my master's degree in Norway. So my connection to Tigray is personal. So my, my entire family is caught up in the in the crisis. So as a person, I feel the the crisis has been neglected. Um, for example, I personally haven't uh, directly talked to my own parents for seven months now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something and, I was uh, actually yeah. Go, sorry, just yeah. something I definitely want so, to ask so, you about uh, yeah. as well later. Yeah. So. And this is, I mean, I'm actually the one of the few lucky ones to have been able to talk to family members uh, during the last one and, half, one and a half year, since almost one and a half year since the war started. Many people haven't, haven't done that. Uh, and as according to reports, several reports by the, by the UN and other international organizations, the Tigray crisis is one of the, I mean, the biggest crisis in, in the world at the moment, like in terms of like the human, the human impact of the, the crisis. You have um, the numbers vary, but up to 7 million people who are mm -hmm. under siege, under uh, complete blockade, where there is no medicine going in, where there is no yeah. humanitarian assistance going in since like uh, for almost a year now, or over yeah. a year, uh, almost complete blockade. And you have uh, Daily attacks, attacks, drone attacks, and lethal other lethal weapon attacks are going on on civilians in, in the region, and the coverage uh, in terms of the, the news coverage is really limited, and that has that has a lot to do with how the blockade is implemented. The part of the blockading of the region is 
the 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 ban on media reporting on ban on uh, journalists traveling through the region and uh, reporting from the from the from the region mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't uh, seen any media international media journalists going into into Tigray since june the last time we had a journalist wow. on the ground okay. was in, in june and also of course like local ethiopian media media um, actors cannot go into Tigray so you have absolute blockade in terms of like information coming out yeah. and of course the communication blackout like uh, we haven't had internet in Tigray for for over a year now uh, like wow. 14 15 almost 15 months so you can imagine the the amount of information that's trickling out of the, the region mm. is really mm-hmm. really limited and that's through like uh, very few uh, spots of inter- internet or someone who has managed to smuggle himself or herself out of mm-hmm. That's how we get information. So, so that's made it very yeah. difficult to, to report on. Yeah. Uh, so maybe um, I, I really, really want to get into your, your written work for sure. Um, but just because I know that a lot of our audience is Western and, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm an expert on the Eastern African history either. Uh, could we potentially maybe just spend a little, little bit of time now, like, Going over, if if you if you're fine with it, going over maybe a little bit of the recent uh, Ethiopian history or, or like what the Tigray region is and, and why it's uh, even sometimes referred to as the cradle of uh, Ethiopian civilization, and and yeah. kind of maybe like what is Tigray really in the context of Ethiopia and the recent decades? Yeah, so that is a very uh, important question and a complex complex one, of course. Um, so Ethiopia is, well, <laughs> we claim that Ethiopia has a long history of um, continuous statehood. So we had some claim that it's a 3,000 year uh, history of statehood. And, um, and of course, the, the new, the, the Ethiopia that we know now was uh, created, I mean, the territory that as we know it now was created in the 19th century along with the European expansion into Africa and Ethiopia expanding itself to the south incorporating more, more territories. And um, the nature of the Ethiopian state uh, is particular that um, we had a very centralized um, uh, imperial kind of state where um, every power of, uh, power of the country is concentrated in the capital, in the, in the uh, cent- concentrated in, in one center. And uh, this has been problematic because um, p- part of um, that, that centralizing power was uh, was uh, stimulating people, forcing people to to, to drop their cultural historical uh, features and to to to, to submit to, to submit to central power. And people fought against that for for a long time. For example, we had the last emperor was Haile Selassie, who was um, the the, the Rastafari or Haile Selassie, who was deposed of power in 1974. And part of the, the, the reason why he, his government um, co- uh, collapsed was there was a st- strong student movements, strong uh, societal rebe- rebellion against, against him um, with, a, with the ultimate objective of decentralizing the country, with the ultimate objective of giving rights to, 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 to the peripheries, rights to the, to the groups uh, on the peripheries. And in that struggle, yeah, and of course, the downfall of Haile Selassie was followed by, by a military um, sort of fascist state, military government, 
that, that ran the country from 1974 to 1991. And that period was a period of civil war where um, various ethnic groups uh, were fighting the central government and Tigray was central in terms of fighting, uh, fighting the central government for more autonomy. And that culminated in the downfall of the military government in 1991. And we have uh, since 19, from 1991 to 1994, 95, we had a uh, um, transitional government. By 1995, we got a constitution which rec recognized uh, the autonomy of regions, the autonomy of uh, various cultural ethnic, ethnic, ethnic regions. And Tigray uh, played a major central role in terms of enabling that, in enabling the decentralization of power. And, but of course, this wasn't a um, uh, perfect system. There was lots of problems with the, with the way the government was, fo was formed, with the way the, 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 the country was governed for uh, 20, 26, 27 years from 1991 to 2018. And there were uh, uprisings, there were uh, protests against the state, uh, which resulted in the change of government, in the change of not government, but the prime minister in 2018. Uh, which is uh, the, the current prime minister we have, we, who everyone thought was a uh, reformist, everyone thought was... Uh, was uh, I mean, he won the Nobel was, Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah, I was, going, I was going to come back to that. Uh, so, of course, that was uh, also a very problematic take from, from the media, from the, from the international community, to, to, to think that someone, just one person can change the country. He can't. It's a, it's a system and it, it requires um, systematic, requires uh, strategic work to, to, to reform and to, to make it work. But uh, everyone fall for, for the Messiah, uh, one Messiah taking over the country and changing it. And that, that led to include um, everything, including winning the Nobel Prize, which is, um, yeah, really shameful to, to think about. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's quite a complex um, history, so, I guess, of power power um, relations within Ethiopia. And and can you let us know just uh, what the like, how many people live in Tigray compared to Ethiopia? Yeah. Large? So, like, so like I said, Ethiopia is a federation since 1995. It became a federation. So, a federation entails that there are central, uh, there is a central government, but there are autonomous regions. And Tigray was one of the autonomous, the nine autonomous regions. And um, it's not the most populous region. It's uh, only six to seven percent of the Ethiopian population. Uh, and that is uh, about seven million, 6.57 million people uh, who live in Tigray. And that is, uh, you can calculate the percentage, it's about more than 100 million people live in the country. Wow. Uh, so, so now we have about seven million people that are who are in in the in the region, uh, which has been like bombarded and yeah torn. So that's more than the population of Norway, isn't it? Yeah, it is bigger than the population of Norway. And of course, the the war isn't limited to Tigray, which we probably will come mm -hmm. back later. But the, the war on Tigray isn't limited to Tigray. So you have ethnic Tigrayans being targeted across the country. So. Um, it's so unfortunately unfortunate that the media doesn't cover it, but you have thousands and ten, tens of thousands of Tigrayans living in the rest of the country who were sent to concentration camps, as in the like the Nazi, Nazi Germany in 1940s. So, yeah, so the the number of people who live in Tigray are about seven million, but you have 
the rest mm -hmm. of the Tigrayan ethnic population living in that, and the rest of the country suffering from it. Yeah, and I mean, in, in terms of the the uh, importance of the the region, I mean, uh, Ethiopia is Africa's second most populous country, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like that's it's. Nigeria, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a titan of of Africa, and and for some reason, uh, we still haven't really heard much in the West uh, about about it all. Do you think the this? Do you think that there's a? Is it? Like, is there more of a structured kind of systemic reason as to why this conflict in particular isn't talked about? Or does it reflect a more, like what we said before, more like systemic um, kind of put down in general or invisibilization of uh, global South news? I think, I think that the, the, the invi in, invis making it invisible when mm -hmm. the news is, that is a very, I think the central uh, part of the, the problem we have now, uh, but also like, that the region is uh, geopolit geopolitically volatile. Like you have uh, several inter interest groups um, uh, investing on on the different sides of the, the conflict. So you have like the the emergence emergence of Abiy Ahmed as a prime minister has a lot to do with lots of western governments lobbying mm -hmm. to change government so he had a um, as, as you as you could see from like uh, winning the nobel prize and uh, the way he was presented in, in 2018 2019 you could see that he he had a strong western backing and um, and of course the so that makes that gave him a license to sort of do a lot of things by by himself without the, the world noticing so for the first few months of the, the conflict, it was very hard for ethnic Tigrayans in the diaspora to, to convey the message that there is there are massacres taking place in Tigray. To, 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 mm -hmm. to tell the media and the world that there is like um, a disaster in, in Tigray because nobody could believe you that the Nobel Peace Prize winning prime minister could do this. So it was yeah. very difficult to, to, to get the attention that it deserved. Um, in addition to that, we, as I said earlier, we we had uh, we have a situation where the government intentionally blockaded the region, like blocking all kind of communication communication to the outside world, blocking all the borders of the region in order to prevent the leakage of information from the from the region. Mm -hmm. So I can, sometimes I can't blame the media for not reporting reporting on it because there is not there is not there is not so much information coming out to yeah. to be able to report. Uh, to make substantial reports, so uh, so the, like you have three at least three points, uh, like the fact that it's the global south, Africa, like volatile East Africa, the fact that you have multiple players like um, uh, governments supporting the regime um, and trying to to present the to still present the regime as something that's legitimate that has to be defended, but also uh, the fact that. Uh, the fact that we have it has been intentionally blockaded from from the outside world and making it difficult to, to report about yeah um i think we can probably just go over maybe the war itself um because it's i i think for a lot of us who don't know the history uh, as you you explained it really really well but um it, it seems to have kind of come out of nowhere 
in our news feeds and such, but it was a little bit in the making in terms of, um, at least I don't know if you agree with this kind of framing, but I, I'd read on just the, I think the New York Times has like one article on the Tigray uh, region and, and the war from just a, a week ago as well. Um, and they kind of frame it as that, uh, bef- that the TPLF um, had kind of control and influence over Ethiopia as a whole um, from the Tigray region and the uh, Abiy Ahmed Ali was bent on breaking the power, their power and their influence uh, that they've had for 30 years. Um, it's kind of a group of rebels that turned kind of rulers. Um, but uh, Mr. Abi, I mean, himself worked with them and was an intelligence officer as well. Uh, so it's a bit strange as well, that kind of linking. But yeah. I, I guess uh, the, this idea that the, the TPLF was the first to strike and uh, it's this kind of war. It, it feels like the New York Times was kind of framing it as this war of, um, of Abiy Ahmed versus this kind of almost like a cabal of sorts of, of like uh, high rulers who, who are losing their influence, who, whose influence is waning. And, and Abiy Ahmed comes in and tries to kind of break this power and this influence. It, it felt a little bit one-sided. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you've read it. I, I can. Uh, I also. I I get that from all the like uh, reading newspapers, new, new articles, and I find that really um, shallow and problematic kind of framing of what's going on. Uh, as I said earlier, Ethiopia is a federation, and the re- the reason we have we have a federation is because people created the the empire, created the centralized gov- government. And they they wanted they fought for for more autonomy, and as, as I said, um, that the TPLF wasn't a government, the only party that was in government in between 1995 and 19, uh, 2018. It was part of a coalition of parties from the, uh, four, at least four regions in the, in the country, and to 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 blame it on TPLF uh, to, to blame the war on TPLF is problematic. To blame them for everything that happened. In the country during that period is problematic. As you said, mm-hmm. Prime Minister himself was part of the the coalition government. Uh, but the the problem uh, leading up to the war, the the the, the, um, the the situation that led to the war, has a lot to do with the history of the country itself. The the, the history where you have um, actors fighting for central uh, centralized uh, centralizing the country and decentralizing the country. On the one hand. Um, the sort of the actors for decentralized Ethiopia had won the, the battle in the 19, uh, early 1990s and uh, had established a country that is that allows more pluralistic, uh, pluralistic and more decentralized uh, form of government. Uh, but the, with the coming of Abiy Ahmed to, to power, we have seen the reversal of that, re- reversal of the, the, even though he came as a federalist, he came from the party that was governing the country as a federal state. He, the, the moment he came to power, he started recentralizing the country. For example, right. appointing, uh, so regional government, regional administrators are supposed to be voted, voted for by regional councils, which are almost parallel par- parliaments for, for regions. Uh, but how he started appointing his own uh, his own cronies in in all the regions except in Tigray, and Tigray mm-hmm. knew that this was coming to itself. 
it wasn't just the pilot, it was everyone. It was everyone, including myself, uh, who could see that he was going to, to, to deploy the army and to do what he did in the Somali region, other mm-hmm. uh, region. And, and of course he did that. In, on several occasions, he sent uh, a plane full of uh, soldiers, commandos, uh, trying to, to capture the, the the regional leaders, the elites in into region, and take them to. When was the, sorry? When was this? Exactly. For, for example, in 2019. Uh, okay, at in the 2019 of, already. Yeah, at the beginning of 2019, there was uh, an Antonov helico- um, plane full of commandos who went to Tigray, landed at the airport in Magala, and try uh, trying to go into the capital and take take over t- take the regional leaders, which was which failed because. Uh, the regional government knew what was going to happen mm-hmm. and they 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 took uh, action and then it was the same same kind of action that led to the war of course this was a bigger uh the the current war had a bigger uh, preparation for it like you had we, we could see that there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of preparation going on um f- from the Eritrean side from the Ethiopian side both from both sides of the, the, the Ethiopian, yeah. Ethiopian and Eritrean borders but this was also Sort of an operation, as, as he also claimed, it was an operation to, to, to topple the government, to take over the mm-hmm. original government. So, the but the media sort of doesn't see the depths of the the, mm-hmm. the depths of the crisis. They just present it as it as it is um, a fight for power, like to feel of trying to return to power in Addis. But it's not. That's not yeah. just. It's not just that. It's a, a lot of uh, detail behind behind it. Yeah. And I, I keep coming to this like framing of the conflict because I, I think it's obviously what is happening in the conflict itself is, is of tremendous importance. But I think uh, things like international action, which we'll, we'll get to, uh, and things like that are, are, are shaped by the, in part, by the framing of the conflict in everyday life and in the media and such. So I think that's why uh, I kind of keep coming back to this, but, but that's also quite disheartening to see um you know major media disheartening but <laughs> expected in some ways to see media kind of um for example the the new york times like i mentioned that article saying just you know that the cause for the war basically was just that the tplf forces attacked a military base in tigray yeah. in what they called a preemptive strike against uh federal forces preparing to attack them and that, that's pretty much it yeah, like yeah. it doesn't really get more in depth than that and and so I, I don't know i think the the way that we see the conflict having begun often gives us um something to think about in terms of who is to blame and who is kind of victim or guilty uh so i think it's quite important to kind of analyze a little bit that framing um but but beyond the framing of it itself uh, the one of the things that you mentioned, which was uh, very, like, very, very uh, terrifying, I think, was the lack, total, like, cut off of Tigray from 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 the world, uh, and and still there are like videos and such and photos that have emerged, and those have been absolutely horrifying to to see. I mean, you know, in some ways necessary to to yeah. watch, um, but also I'm sure. Uh, quite traumatic for for a lot of people how how have how has it been for you as a tigrayan um i mean i'm I'm sure obviously not good but how has it been for you to 
watch that kind of from afar while being cut off because you mentioned that you were cut off from your family as well and i i listened to one of the podcasts that you were on recently with uh, our friends over at uh what's it called global rights defenders yeah yes global rights defenders and you mentioned that you hadn't spoken to your family in uh in months and months i mean has that for example changed yeah so uh I'll, I'll go back to the framing a little bit. And, uh, mm-hmm. and like you said, the framing of the conflict, uh, the way the conflict is framed is reflected in the way we, we uh, everyone is responding or not responding to the conflict. So um, as I said earlier, the way Abiy Ahmed, the prime minister was depicted in the first one, two years of his power uh, played a major role in terms of how the war was framed how the cause of the war was framed. So he was presented as peacemaker, as a, as a reformist, and uh, he, he was fighting the bad guys. Uh, so in a way that, that uh, determined how people see the war, how uh, whatever he presented was pre- uh, taken as, as truth and whatever the other side of the story, uh, the, the people from the other side presented was uh, uh, taken as uh, the voice the of the bad guys. So that, that has made it very difficult for anyone to, to see the problem. But regardless of that, what, what is happening in Tigray cannot be justified by anything. By like, what if, I mean, even if uh, Tipelev, as, as, uh, if, even if Tipelev was as Abi presents, even if um, they had started the war, whatever is hap- uh, happening in Tigray cannot be justified. You cannot, you cannot justify the cleansing of like a third of the territory in the region. You cannot justify the like um, systematic destruction of the whole infra- like infrastructure in, in the region. You cannot justify no. siege uh, over like uh, 7 million people for, for, for over a year. So that should be, that should be the, the baseline of the, uh, how we see this, this conflict. Mm-hmm. As a person from Tigray, it has been, I think, like seeing... Um, yeah, seeing all the uh, all the images and all the stories, hearing the stories, uh, has been a numbing experience. I think I'm like, you know, like um, for for the first uh, few months, you, you you wake up in the morning, yes, you see the same stories or more, more horrible stories uh, on your feed, on your feed, and you just you just feel helpless. You you can't do anything. Yeah. Um, and uh, like one one way of uh, trying to do something was to to tell the world, like to to uh, to stay active on 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 social media, on Twitter, and to write something about it. But that's not; it just doesn't help. Like um, the reaction from the world is just really disappointing, really um, uh, pain, painful to, to say the least. So, like, and of course, you, you cannot, you don't get, you don't stay numb. Of course, you. You, when you see um, massacred civilians, uh, people that you know, when you hear the days of people that you know, the childhood friends, the, the neighbors, uh, you, you, you don't stay numb. Your heart just you just feel the pain all the time. And um, mm-hmm. every time there is a new story of a, a child dying or civilians attacked by a drone, it just um, yeah. One guy said like recently, uh, Tigrayan diaspora said. When when the stories, when the stories of the, the the atrocities become bigger and bigger, everyone feels like a family. Whoever is within the region, whoever is being subjected 
to this ho horror feels like a family. So whenever you see an attack of uh, civilians by drone in on the one corner of the guy, it doesn't matter. It, it just feels like your own family. So yeah. that has been the, the case for, for, for me. I mean, like, uh, very, very difficult. And uh, from my family, uh, from my family, I haven't, I haven't talked to, to, the last time I talked to my parents was on the 10th of June. And they were at the time, uh, the guy was still like, uh, uh, that part of the guy was still under occupation of Eritrea. Uh, and my parents were displaced. They were staying somewhere else. And the house where we, where I grew up, was the, um, shelled and destroyed. And um, a lot of all, all, all the things, all the things that we we had was uh, was loaded and taken somewhere else. So, um, yeah. so uh, that's the case. I have I have gotten like short clips of audio from some of my siblings uh, mm -hmm. during the last few weeks, and that's it. Uh, okay. The, the but clips, you, you know, like, you kind of know that they're still alive. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so yes. Um, at least I know that my siblings uh, were all right. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure about my, like, how my parents are because yeah. you, you know, like, you, you you found you find out the story makes you happy for a few seconds. The moment you get, you get it, you realize that your your family members are all right, but then you you just on the uh, moment later you see drone attack on town or drone attack yeah of course yeah and there so you don't know you don't know if they are safe you don't know if they if they have been if they are the victims of the, the next attack mm -hmm. so that is that is the most difficult part of it like you, you don't you don't know um you don't know what's going to happen to them and of course in the last uh, few weeks it has we see famine has intensified like we see people are already dying uh, well, they have been dying for for months now, but it has become more uh, catastrophic, more more bigger scale now, and uh, that also is very scary when you have your entire family in the, in the region. Yeah, yeah. And I guess following on from this, because this this sort of um, violence against and victimization of civilians is sort of a is sort of a major characteristic of this war, and I just wanted to know like why. Why, why do you think that um, so, so much violence and so, much, so many war crimes are being committed, you know, with such prevalence um, against civilians, not, not just in terms of what's motivating these military groups to, to act in this way, but also maybe what sort of international pressures are or aren't there that are sort of en enabling this activity to take place as well? Yeah. So like, thanks for that question. Like you said, um, this is like one of the most violent wars. I, like, I, I think like, we, since we don't see it on the media, since we don't see the reporting, it doesn't seem like that. But this is on the equivalent of Rwanda, like what we have seen in 1994 in Rwanda, like where villages have been decimated, where like people have disappeared. Like, um, and we have, uh, there are very few reports that pin down what happened to certain villages, like where every house is burned down and where we, uh, where people have reportedly been uh, massacred. Uh, yes, like you said, the inaction of the international community played major role in, in terms of like allowing this to happen. Uh, we have had reports, uh, reports of human rights organizations like Amnesty International, the Human Rights Watch, 
in the like in the first few months of the, the war, showing that there was systematic killing and systematic um, destruction of towns and villages. And um, the response from the international community was just nothing. Like, um, I, I think I have like uh, 500 pages of uh, links and small screenshots yeah. screen of expressions of concerns by international actors. Like uh, the, the UN would often report, uh, I mean, like uh, issue a statement saying, oh, we are concerned about what's going on in Tibet. We are deeply concerned. We are horribly concerned, yeah. whatever. So like the amount of uh, statements of concern is like crazy, but we, we haven't seen any uh, concrete step towards like enabling, uh, I mean, stopping the, the violence. And I think that that has played like people, they are doing it with, with impunity. Like there is no, no, no consequence to, to, to doing whatever they, whatever they want. And, uh, and then of course the fact that this is not one, one uh, force, single force, performing the, the, the killing or well, yeah. invading the region plays a major role as well. Like you have forces that are sort of out of control, even though the Ethiopian army itself has been very violent and we have seen massacres that they carried and filmed themselves. Uh, the major part of the, the, the destruction and the killing uh, comes from other forces that are allied to it. So you have like the ethnic militias from the neighboring Amhara region cleansing the, the entire Western Tigray. You have Eritrean forces with vengeance coming into Tigray, destroying everything, taking, uh, like my, my own parents' home was looted by, by Eritrean soldiers. Eritrean soldiers kept uh, livestock in it, livestock that they slaughtered in our house uh, mm -hmm. for, for, for months. So like, the level of impunity is crazy. Like, uh, so the fact that we have multiple forces uh, coming in with different kind of orders into the region Mm. Uh, also played major role in 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 this, and that Eritrean region doesn't care. Like what, what whatever. Yeah, maybe, maybe very quickly just talk about the Eritrean regime. Like, why does Eritrea take part in this? Yeah. So, so the if you if you see the statement by the Nobel Peace Prize Committee in two thousand nineteen. Uh, the awarding uh, or like the nomination of Abiy Ahmed for no Nobel Peace Prize was um, uh, on the ground that he, he brokered a peace between Egypt and Eritrea, or he signed a peace deal, which we don't know if it was actually a peace deal. As it, as it looks now, it was a war, war pact. Uh, uh, but at the time, it, it, was supposed, it was presented as a peace deal. And, and the, uh, the peace deal was on... Um, to, to end a war that was going on for like 20 years. There was a border war between Ethiopia and Eritrea in between 1998 and 2000. And the, the, the armies of the both countries were uh, sitting on both sides of the border for, for 20 years. And there was like um, confrontations every now and then, but the border was closed for, for 20 years. And Abi and the Eritrean uh, president claimed that this, uh, they made, uh, made a deal. Uh, the border was open for a few days, a few, few weeks. And it was closed uh, closed again, and but at the time, it, people were euphoric. People were very happy about the opening of the border. They we also liberated it, but with with a lot of reservation, knowing what kind of president Eritrean Eritrean president was, and they uh, he they they proved us right as well. Like um, in, in the following months, we would see Ethiopian Eritrean uh, prime leaders going back and forth between the capitals. 
but nothing was, uh, nothing real was going on the border. Nothing real was uh, happening in terms of like opening up, uh, opening discussions between the communities, uh, the, the local governments and local governments uh, on both sides of the border. So, and then we see a growing tension with the closing of the border. We see growing tension, growing calls for um, uh, taking taking down the government in Tukai, replacing it with government that that is um, uh, like loyal to the to the federal government, and sort of like um, we could see the antagonism from the Eritrean side in terms of like uh, uh, changing the government in Tukai, and it went on and on when we in. Uh, like as a, as a as an observer living somewhere else, I could see that the Eritrean and Ethiopian guys were going back and forth to military uh, installations, military centers, checking whatever they have in the in the center. For example, the Ethiopian guy went to the, um, the, the military training facility that the Eritrean president has in the middle of somewhere in Eritrea, uh, checking um, new new military trainees graduating and all that. And that we also see reciprocal, reciprocal movements in, from the Eritrean guy traveling to Ethiopia and visiting military facilities. And mm-hmm. that was a clear indication that there was something going on. Yeah. And, uh, and this comes from the, from the 1998-2000 war uh, when the TPLF, the Tigray government, was part of the federal government which uh, fought against the Eritrean army at the time. And they, they had this... Um, Sort of vengeance, sort of uh, um, revenge for what what they what happened in 1998, 2000 war. Yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, yeah, very deep roots to all of this. Um, I I want to touch on your your one of your written works, which for the stream I'm just going to bring up on the streams up on the screen. I meant. <laughs> um, very quickly yeah so for those of us watching uh the video whether it's live or on youtube after you can see here i'm just on tecla's um twitter it's pinned here uh so it's called inventing hell how the ethiopian and eritrean regimes produced famine in tigray Uh, so this you published in november 2021 um and it's i think it's free to access potentially uh, I think no? it's limited. Yeah, I think it's limited, and I'm trying to get the, or the journal to make. Oh, okay. Because I I just clicked on PDF and I was oh uh, maybe I was already signed in or something with my uh, university access. That's possible. Pro, pro, Sorry, pro, my bad. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I usually have to do it manually. So uh, so people, okay, can, so people can contact me on, uh, for example, ResearchGate, or they can directly send me a message on Twitter if they want to access it. Yeah, there you go. So I I took some notes um on on the. Um, I mean, it's it's a harrowing account of of the. I, honestly, I I don't even know what the proper way to call it is. Crisis, war. I mean, I know you call it genocide as well. Um, I guess the way that we name it is also an issue in the framing of the conflict. And as a total outsider, obviously, I uh, I have no idea uh, what the more proper way to to say is so i'll I'll leave it to you for that but in this article um you really kind of go over the ways that the fat the current famine and situation in tigray region is not uh it's not something produced by hazard it's it's just it's it's completely man-made 
and it's something that is, has been and is being engineered. Um, so just for, for our listeners here, um, to recount a, a few of the things that are in the, in the article, uh, hundreds of thousands of civilians uh, allegedly have been killed. Uh, the conflict has forced 70,000 people to seek refuge in eastern Sudan, has internally displaced uh, more than 2 million people. Tens of thousands of women and girls have been subjected to weaponized sexual violence that we know of. Um, ethnic uh, Amhara militia have allied to Ethiopian regime and have charged, uh, which both have been charged with ethnic cleansing of Western uh, Tigray. And there has also been uh, accounts of concentration concentration camps, sorry, and uh, random killings as well as systematic killings. So, so these, I mean. These are the makings of a uh, of a genocide, in, in in my view. I mean, I don't know what your kind of beliefs are, are in terms of that. Uh, do you see it as a genocide in the making, as a genocide that has already happened? Yeah. So, uh, like friends of I, friends and I, we were we've been checking like uh, what are the, the criteria for calling mm-hmm. something a genocide and the Tigray the Tigray crisis or whatever uh, like you said it, it has passed that like it has all elements of the, the genocide uh, conventions uh, the aggregate points that you, you, you define something as, as genocide and um, one of the one of the, the key elements of determining something as genocide or not is whether there is intention involved in in what is happening, for example, intention in terms of the killings, like is it just random uh, byproduct of like a, a side collateral damage during uh, crossfires, or is it something that is done uh, systematically? Um, does it involve like a, does it is there an intention of doing like maximum uh, damage to the society that is being targeted? And as I as I try to, to show in the uh, in the article, which is very very limited by the way, very short paper, uh, we see Western Tigray, like a vast part of Tigray on the western side, was clearly ethnically ethnically cleansed. Like there are very few Tigrayans left in that part of Tigray. So you have over a million of them displaced, pushed like. Uh, Put into trucks and dumped, you know, along the side of uh, on the border bordering the river. Um, many of them were killed and dumped in the river uh, on the on the river that flows towards Sudan. And we have seen bodies, like bodies and after after bodies, uh, flo- floating on the river on, on on the Sudanese side of the border. We have seen. You can also go through satellite images of the area, and then you could see mm-hmm. all the the villages are. Uh, burned down, like you could see them creating rings of fire around them. And uh, when you go to the like the central and eastern part of the guy, you see the same kind of processes uh, taking place, like um, like uh, soldiers going into town and shooting everyone that moved, soldiers going house to house, hunting young men uh, and killing them. For example, you have Aksum, which is a historic, uh, mm-hmm. historic city in central Tugai. In Axum, Eritrean soldiers went house to house hunting for like hunting men and killing them in front of wow. their, their family. And you have all of that going uh, that happened uh, across Tigray during the, the many months of occupation. Uh, and then, so which is what I tried to, to show on the on the on the on the article. 
as if the violence, as if the, 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 the killings, the systematic random killings are not enough, you also see systematic blocking of the region, systematic um, creation, like uh, uh, construction of famine, like making of famine in, in the region. As I, as I tried to indicate in the, in the article, you have several steps that the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian government and its allies um, took to, to, to enable famine, to, to create famine conditions from like um, changing uh, the, the, the financial system, the bank, banking system in the country, yeah. the banknotes, to all the way to blocking humanitarian aid to, 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 to prevent uh, people from accessing uh, aid that they, 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 they need to, to survive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so for me, and I think uh, for, for everyone that has been following the, the, the war, this is clearly genocide. This is mm-hmm. clearly, uh, it clearly meets the, 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 the criteria for, 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 for determining uh, as genocide. But as you said, that there was, there is a problem from the international. For example, the U.S. U.S. Department of State they had an, uh, uh, a statement in March or something where they they said ethnic cleansing uh, cleansing has taken place in Western Sudan, and th- there was also an ongoing um, uh, analysis research to determine whether this is a genocide or not. But now they mm-hmm. have. They say they have um, they, they have to hold it because they, they don't want to prevent the peace. Uh, they, yeah. they don't want to prevent, I mean, prevent uh, course, dialogue, which is which is so absurd to think, think about. Yeah, I, I mean the, these definitions are often. Um, I, I I think they can be productive, like in in helping us really differentiate between um, different realities and not to you know not to compare like one little thing to a big thing but then also yeah. of course as we know they can be uh utilized politically i mean um in ronda for example i think it was what was it clinton uh refused categorically refused to say the word genocide over and over and over again just because they knew that they would have to uh intervene or the international community would push them to intervene if yeah. it was the case so yeah unfortunately it can be a double double-edged uh, sword in some ways i, I you, in your article, um, I think it was like the second uh, part or chapter uh, of it. Um, I think that was one of the like one of the ones that that scared me the most, even uh, in its kind of in, in its like inhumanity, <laughs> in in a sense. Uh, I think the the way that you explain how the food stocks were all just reported, you know, taken by enemy armies, and that farming was just prevented i mean like i just the idea of preventing someone to farm is so i mean we're not pg-13 so so fucked up in in so many ways um but yeah the the fact that ethiopian and eritrean soldiers went village to village telling farmers to stop farming that they faced violence and arrest if they refused as well as having their livestock uh slaughtered uh means that uh, it, as you mentioned in your article, according to the UN, only 13% of annual crop productivity is expected. I mean, 13% to feed a whole region uh, of, of what you said, 7 million people. Yeah, yeah, is is uh, is absolutely insane. I mean, and, and then the the money, the uh, banknotes. I think that's one of the more twisted ways. I think that <laughs> they've done this. Um, so again, from your article. Two months before the war, uh, the National Bank of Ethiopia printed new currency notes 
meaning that the old ones were made uh, non-valid within a short time span, and they printed new currency notes, uh, restricted exchanges and withdrawals, so that when the war broke out, many Tigrayans lost their savings because they couldn't uh, switch them out. Because, of, as you say, when Mikhail fell, people traveled hundreds of miles to change their money, only to find out that the deadline had already passed to change their money, meaning that they're in, for millions of people, their entire savings were effectively just wiped out within just some bureaucratic window of time that had passed. Yeah. Um, I mean, government ordered commercial banks to suspend all accounts in Tigray when the war started. It, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's inventive in a way, but in a very, very twisted way. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the international community part that we've been talking about, um, I was quite glad to see that MSF was in Ethiopia and in Tigray. But that unfortunately, they've uh, suffered the uh, execution of, uh, of three of their uh, members and yeah. that they've now been banned still from Ethiopia. Yes. Uh, so I'll start from the, from the ba- banking. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so that I, for example, when it was on the 14th of September or something, when the National Bank declared that they, they have a new currency in stock and they have people have to change within this uh, uh, limited amount of time. And of course, Tigray is far, far from the center. So people have, um, like the commercial banks, for example, didn't have access to the new currency to, to, to facilitate the change, changing the notes for, for, for several weeks uh, since the start of the exchange. And uh, like I, I, we were following the, the story and when people start try to fly from Addis to, to Makala with, uh, for example, uh, cash in, access, in excess of 2,000 bur, which is about like $50 at the moment, uh, people were arrested and some their money was was taken because they they were the government was systematically trying to prevent uh, cash like the new cash going into Tigray, preventing like uh, people from taking uh, the new currency into Tigray. And uh, only few commercial banks branches had access to the, to, the, to the notes before the war bro- broke out. So, like you said, many people just lost whatever uh, cash they had in their on their hand. And then, of course, the the, the uh, suspending of accounts. Like, even if you if you are a Tigrayan or if you are if you have your bank account in from Tigray and you live mm-hmm. in in the rest of the country for months, you didn't have access to your bank account. You didn't have access to your own savings, and you can't even get paid your, your salary, even if you live in Addis or elsewhere. So that that was like clearly uh, intentional. And uh, and of course now, like since the federal government uh, troops left Makala, we, we don't have any services like banking services uh, or anything. Like, uh, so that sort of facilitated the, the hunger. I mean, like even if you're a millionaire, you're hungry. Like you, you go hungry because you don't have access yeah. to your cash. You don't have access to any way to pay your for your food. Uh, about the international uh, organizations, yes, MSF was one of the first um, organizations to reach to Gray. At the beginning of the war, and when they arrived, they they were overwhelmed by the by the need by the uh, need for for medical help because every uh, this, at the time they had uh, more than seventy percent of the health facilities in the Tigray region that is in 
end of November last year, uh, the, uh, 2020, more than 70% of the health facilities were destroyed or looted or something has happened. There is no medication or they have been destroyed. You can imagine how, how overwhelming uh, it must, must have been. And yeah. then they, 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 tried to, they, they tried to serve for several months with all the, the intimidations, with all the, the challenges that they faced by, by the federal government. Uh, and then at the end, at the end of the uh, June, they, uh, three of their workers were killed. And I, I also, we, we also saw like MSF reporting on what they see, for example, on daily basis. What, on one of the, their travels, they saw Ethiopian soldiers taking uh, people off uh, public buses and shooting them on the street for, for nothing, basically for nothing. And uh, they reported that. And I, I suspect that those kind of uh, reportings have put the MSF on a very difficult position with the government because the government didn't want re- those kind of things reported. Uh, and then, um, like, since the beginning of July, MSF has been suspended. I mean, uh, told not to go to certain parts of the, the country, including to parts of Tigray. And they have also, of course, because of the threat that their workers face, they, they have also withdrawn pro, uh, from uh, many parts of the, the region. I, I'm not sure if they still have access to, to Makala because not, not many humanitarian actors have access to Tigray at the moment. Like even the UN or organizations cannot transport supplies to, to the region. So I'm not sure if MSF still has any, any activities going on in Tigray. Yeah. Uh, I'm really sorry. Apparently, my mic is not working well on the stream, so I'm just going to quickly check. Okay, yeah, it's back on. Good. Um, yeah, we just had a viewer say that my mic was uh, had stopped working. Um, yeah, the 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 amount of of aid being able to actually reach Renita, I think, was at three percent or something estimated, um, which is. Yeah, uh, according to the UN itself, I think um, one of the questions that I had in terms of the like international community was, you know, usually when we see uh, the international community, like in, in precedence, uh, when we see the international community block on something, it's often, not always, but often due to um, organisms like, you know, the Security Council, for example, uh, competing interests. So, for example, uh, you know, in the Kosovo War, there were definitely competing interests that stopped, prevented things from happening. Uh, do, you, do you think that Ethiopia and Eritrea have some sort of kind of power in this, uh, in this international response? Or are there more interests at large? Because I, I guess from an outside perspective, it feels like there should be action when in a conflict like this, because at least from what I've read from your work and, and a little bit on the side, uh, there doesn't seem to be that much of a heavy hand from uh, you know the usual uh, global powers like uh, America or, or, or Russia, China, the ones that control kind of Security Council, for example. Yeah, uh, so that's also, um, as, as I said in the beginning of uh, the discussion, uh, there is a lot of geopolitical like um, uh, tension, tension around the Red Sea region, Red Sea part of the world. Uh, you have interests like um, countries with big interests like China, for example, 
which which sees as which is as a gateway to Africa using like the African Union and the Ethiopian government as a, as a as sort of mediators into the African African market. We also see uh, emerging powers like the Middle Eastern, the Gulf countries, petrodollar countries uh, moving in and using their every uh, means to 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 stay relevant in the in the region. We also see Russia sort of like replacing the West, uh, Russia and China replacing the West uh, in terms of influence in, in, in the region. Uh, and the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian government in the beginning was uh, like, for example, Abiy Ahmed was presenting himself as um, liberal, uh, pro-market, pro like sort of like glo glo globalization kind of uh, um, government. And he, he was pro the Western, Western kind of uh, government. But when the war started and when the condemnations from the European Union, for example, started coming, uh, you could see the Ethiopian government sort of, if, you, if there was a picture, you could see the movement months by months towards like towards the east. You, you could see slowly shifting uh, alliance with, uh, with China, towards China and towards, uh, towards uh, Russia and the other powers. Mm -hmm. And you could see that reflected in the Security Council meetings as well. Like over the 15 months war, we haven't seen, for example, open discussions on Tigray. Um, like there were like one or two open public debate on the on the crisis. But we, you could also see China, Russia, India. India is a non-permanent member of the Security Council at the moment, uh, blocking any form of resolution. Even the resolution that really? they have, the only resolution that they have managed to to, to pass was like one of the weakest resolutions, like in, in Security Council's problem cultural history probably so yes there is a geopolitical interest and the west sort of like in the beginning they saw avi as a as an ally so they they were trying to to prevent him from from being uh, pressured but uh, later on you could see when the west west realized that there was horrific stuff going on when they uh, when they tried to influence you could see the Ethiopian government shifting towards the east and you could see that the, the shift towards the east you could see that in terms of where uh, weapons are being procu procured from, like uh, where drones and uh, other weapons are coming from. You see uh, Iran, uh, the United Arab Emirates, China, Turkey, uh, to some extent Russia supplying lethal weapons and dro drones to the region. And it's so weird that you see Iran and Iran and um, United Arab Emirates who historically don't work together, working together and flying drones to this country. So that is a weird mix of uh, manipulation of geopolitics mm -hmm. here. Do you think that some of these countries are trying to show this in this to use this in the, as an example of what happens to uh, like independent regions who kind of try to separate themselves a little bit too much potentially? Yes, exactly. I mean, like. Um, China's position, for example, is heavily, of course, it's, um, it has a lot to do with Ethiopia's position in Africa in terms of like as a gateway for the Chinese, uh, Chinese, government, Chinese government to Africa. But it has also, it also reflects the domestic politics in China itself. Uh, the fact that China is also doing the same things that the Ethiopian government is doing to the Uyghurs. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, they, they see their own reflection in, in terms of in terms of what, what's happening in, in Ethiopia. And you, you also see that, um, for example, um, with, the, with the United Arab Emirates, for example, uh, 
on the war in Yemen and how the the Houthis are, uh, how, what it's doing to the to the supposed ter yeah. terrorist uh, state in Houthi. So, so I think there is it's, it's a reflection of what what what's going on in their own countries and how uh, how, how they don't want this to unfold in their own in their own countries. So, but but of course, uh, there was an article recently. It's I think it's in Washington Post where the spokesperson for the Tigray government, Kitacho Radda, says that they have turned Tigray into sort of drone and lethal weapon testing ground. And I feel like that's, that has also to, to be taken into consideration how like the emerging powers like Turkey, um, Iran, and other countries who are producing some of the most lethal weapons are using it as an opportunity to test what kind of weapons work uh, to, to exterminate uh, people. And uh, while this should scare the world, I mean, like everyone should be scared about um, like testing weapons on people. It doesn't seem to get uh, as much traction from 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 especially from the Western world. Like, yeah. I wonder um, what the sort of public sentiment towards the different sides of the war are, and. Because you know the, the the various sides are each committing war crimes, um, you know is is it quite locked down? Is is there quite an efficient propaganda system, or is it really no, no one really believes that their interests are actually being protected? And following from this, are, the, are have there has there been any popular citizen resistance? Very very limited, uh, I would say. I mean, like. Uh... Or like imagine Nazi Germany in 1941, 1940, I don't know. Uh, as a, as a Tigrayan, I see what's in Ethiopia at the, at, the, at the moment, almost as equivalent as what, what was going on in, in, in Germany in, in, uh, during the war. And uh, I, I don't think there were so many German, Germans who, who managed to, to, to stand up against the, the third Reich. Uh, I, I don't think there were so many people who were able to 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 to, to lay out what they what they what they think it should happen, and we have seen very few dissent voices uh, opposing the war. For example, I mean, like um, recently in I don't know if it was October September, there was a popular singer from southern Ethiopia who was invited to a regime rally pro-war rally, and he he stood up and he said, "I don't I don't want to support war." We have to stop this war. We have to. We have to go for dialogue. We have to stop the war, the crimes that are taking place. And he just disappeared. And then a few days later, they, he had to apologize. He, he had to apologize in public. He had to go to radio stations and say, "I'm sorry for what I said." Because oh no, <laughs> because because of the pressure uh, on him. And I, it, even though I I am really disappointed on the broader public, I also uh, feel. That is very difficult for someone to to stand up and to, to say no to no no to war in a situation where you have the regime propaganda claiming that Tigray is a traitor, Tigrayans are traitors and they have to be exterminated and that's the kind of message that's uh, in place and it's very difficult to, to stand against it and to say to to say no to a war mm. and uh, that's that's what how how I see it, how I see the problem with standing against a war war is yeah. and and there's a deep divide as well I've, I've just been reading within the um, Ethiopian diasporas as well um, like it seems like both online and 
offline <laughs> in the real world uh ethiopians are are um are divided not just in ethiopia itself um i and i wonder what it's been like for you your personal experience as uh in if I don't know if there is a Ethiopian diaspora that you're you are in contact with, but if you are, what your experience has been like, and then also one of our uh, watchers has just um, asked if well asked they say that they're wondering if Western interventionism would really do more good or more harm from South by. Yeah. So on the on the division, sorry to pile on questions on yeah you. yeah no, no problem <laughs> on on the division. Uh, on the division between like among Ethiopians, yes, it's like clearly uh, we are really divided. Well, it's not like there is a div clear division between Tigrayans and the rest of Ethiopia. And of course, we also see that the Oromos are also like the biggest uh, ethnic group in Ethiopia. The Oromos are also uh, well, like a lot of the Oromos support the cause, Tigrayan cause. Uh, okay. And then you see the diaspora Oromo sort of rallying around in support of the Tigrayan cause, but you could also see the, the division between Ethiopians and Tigrayans like, clearly. And um, like as uh, personally, I, it has been very difficult to 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 communicate with Ethiopians with Ethiopians at the moment because, uh, like I said, propaganda is very difficult to to to, to deal with. Like uh, people have been told that. Uh, TPLF and the Tigrayans are, have done this to our army and we have to, to, to mm -hmm. wipe them out. And um, whatever you, whatever story you tell about yourself, about what your family is going through, people would just say, this is fake. Yeah, like, yeah. I, for example, I have told some of my Ethiopian friends that my parents are displaced. My parents' house have been, has been like uh, destroyed and uh, my, my, my mother had to run from village to village for months to escape, uh, escape killing. And uh, when you tell that story to someone, they they, they don't uh, they don't uh, receive it. Like they say, this is fake. You just you just supporting the the PLF propaganda. And that's the level of propaganda necessary to have that kind of inhuman yeah, response. Yeah, and it's it is so unreal. painful uh, to 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 listen. It's painful to, yeah. to, to 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 communicate. So I, in a way, I try to uh, both in on on social media. I, I mostly use Twitter and both on social media on in person. I try not to. Sort of engage because if you if you see a story like a Twitter story that I have posted on on uh, on the comment section you see like really hateful uh, uh, comments uh, hateful mm. and claiming that this is fake this is propaganda but I know the story I know uh, I know it's true it's my neighbors that have been killed so so I try to sort of like limit limit the amount of interaction I have yeah. with, with independence, which is unfortunate, by the way. We should have we should have talked, we should have had like more discussion, but it's also very difficult to to do that when you when you're going through a lot of horrible stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah for sure. Um, so yeah, just uh, to go back to our watcher South By's uh, question on Western interventionism, do you, do you think that there's uh, an opportunity for it to to do more harm than good if uh you know the west uh per se would uh, act i think i think it, this is um yes i i understand the fear about like uh western powers regimes uh like um imposing stuff on on the global global south or the east whatever you call it 
I, I understand that, and that's also my my job. I I have been uh, I have I've been writing critic against colonialism. I have been writing against uh, neo-colonial story like uh, policy ideals on conservation, for example. So I understand that that concern, but but that shouldn't prevent anyone from from speaking out against inhuman stuff. Like whether you're from west or east or whatever you, you come from from other planet, you should be able to speak to speak speak and to stand against inhuman treatment of other human beings. And Western governments, I think they have actually failed to, 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 to intervene. It doesn't necessarily have to be military intervention. It could be by, by for example, imposing restrictions on the, on the, on the region, sanctions uh, on the region. They don't have to intervene. They have to stop their support of the region by allowing it to trade, freely mm -hmm. trade with, with European uh, democracies, with Western democracies, when, we, when they, it's not protecting the rights of the, its own citizens. So if you call that intervention, that's problematic. So uh, uh, Western intervention, it depends on how you understand Western intervention. So it, mm -hmm. as much as the Ch a Chinese person speaks against inhuman treatment of Ethiopians or whatever other citizens, as much, uh, Europeans should be able to, to do that. Uh, Americans should be able to do that. And anyone should be able to, to say no to, to violence, to, to, to state. Uh, yeah. To, to famine, yeah, state famine. So that's how how we should understand it. Yeah, and I, I guess um, maybe that fear is uh, based on, I guess, the more direct interventionism techniques that we've seen. Like, for example, we mentioned Rwanda, uh, which I think can be to some extent used as a, a case to look at. Um, but in Rwanda, uh, France um france put in like a demilitarized zone or something like that uh, with operation turquoise i think it was called uh which you know was born of in part we could say of sentiments to to help whatever uh, that <laughs> word means but in the end just allowed a lot of uh war crimes to be perpetrated and then allowed those people who perpetrated them to flee through the turquoise zone and to um to allow a lot of, uh, of forced prostitution, of drug trade, of arms trade to happen within that zone because it was just badly managed. So mm. I think um, I can understand that for uh, for for the, that like where that fear is based. I I'd want to quickly go uh, over the the way in which um, Tigray has been has been kind of. The propaganda and the way in which the propaganda has shown Tigray as, um, as this was it that I mean, Abi Ahmed has called it cancer, I think, or like yeah. the region or its people was cancer as weeds. I mean, these are not like these are not simple insults, they're insults with uh, a, a historical background that is you know based in in, in things like genocide. Uh, has that like has that imaging of Tigray as a cancer or weeds been uh, progressive or has there always been like I, I just wonder how progressive versus sudden the change has been? It, it has I mean like in a way um, yeah so like you said it's classic um, genocidal kind of rhetoric like we uh, the, the idea that certain 
population has caused this and that harm to the country and they have to be avoided from the body politic of the country is problematic. And it has, it has been used elsewhere, like it's the same case in Rwanda, it's the same case in other uh, contexts where genocide has taken place. Uh, and that Abi Ahmed's um, argument about uh, like um, presentation of Tigrayans as weeds uh, is also supported by the by the idea that Tigrayans have dominated the native and body politic for for 27 years and they have they deserve to be punished for that and it is it is in the New York, New York Times articles it's in the crisis group uh, uh, analysis of uh, the, the past uh, po political uh, space in Ethiopia it's all kind of analysis that has supported Abiy Ahmed's presentation of Tigrayans as weeds. And that is where the, the problem lies. And Abiy was, I mean, he was he he was supported by the Tigrayan, by the TPLF in the beginning. When he, when he became prime minister, the TPLF uh, representatives were uh, the ones who supported him. They, ha they have supported him to come to power and they have welcomed him in Mekele when, when he came to, 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 to present himself as a prime minister, when he visited Tigray for the first time and they have they have cheered for him, and uh, but a few weeks later, you would see he he said, "Daily, uh, day Haina, the the uh, like the, the Haina, He presented the Gaians and the TPLF as Hainas, and sort of like talked about how how they have muzzled the country, how they have uh, taken its resources and all that. And then like the uh, the, the the moment you realize that he has made made the Tigray region weaker and the population. Uh, poorer, he could he he now presents it uh, presents them as cancer, as weeds, uh, we, who should be weeded, who should be taken uh, taken away, and that has it has material implications. We have seen it, we have seen Addis residents going from neighborhood to neighborhood, weeding to grants, like taking to grants out of the 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 the, 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 the society, the Addis society. We have seen to grants from Western to just. Being cleared away from the land, as as if you're cleaning clearing uh, wheat from your from your land. So um, uh, so it has it, it progressed, but he also bought into uh, Avid. This he didn't come up with all, all with all this by himself. He was part of this uh, centralized uh, people who would prefer centralized uh, governance, centra centralized government who saw people who asked for for uh, for autonomy as weeds, as people who. Uh, who see the, the central people who support the centralized Ethiopia see the people who uh, the actors who see the centralized power in in Ethiopia as yeah. as problematic and so they want they want that they want them to be avoided they want them to to be taken out of the the, the system so he 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 bought into that idea as well so yeah, yeah so it's sort of progressive but he he also uh, taps into an existing narrative by the centralized Ethiopian uh, elites, uh, elites who support the centralized Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to slowly start to, to close things up because um, we've been running for, for an hour and a half now, but I've, I mean, there's so much more to say. I, I don't think we can even close the topic at some point, but um, maybe something to kind of start to finish on would be um one of the things that you write i think at the end of your uh, paper inventing hell um you write something along the lines of that you feel bad almost focusing on the environmental impacts of the war on the region when so many are when millions are hurting to even 
like worrying about their own survival. Um, do you think that you'll be able to kind of carry out a, uh, a set like environmental assessments of of the effects of the war? Is that something that you'd want to do? Um, and and I guess also then that kind of leaves open the question of of how important is the environmental damage? I think maybe because our podcast is also a little bit more about the environmental side of the things, maybe we can kind of end on something a little bit related to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, so the, the, as I say in one of the, I think it's a blog that I wrote for Tugat, where right. I, I say the, whereas the environmental concerns are very important, we, we seem to focus on just the daily humanitarian crisis, but this is humanitarian as well as environmental crisis. So we would have to talk about the, the environment at some point, or, or we have to start talking about it mm -hmm. because um, even if people survive survive uh, the crisis, uh, the, the famine and all the, the, the killings at, uh, that they are going through, they would need to, to live in Tigray. They would need to, 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 to those landscapes to, to be kept, those landscapes to, to be maintained and to to, to, to use them. They are mostly farmers, so they, they would need the, the landscape mm -hmm. to, to be restored. And uh, the, like Tigray is a mountainous landscape and they have, um, we have seen degradation of its landscape historically because this was, like you said, it's a cradle of the Ethiopian state. Uh, we have long history of settlements, farming and all that. So you, as a result, you have more like degraded, to some extent degraded land. And there has been a lot of effort to restore the land. And in, as I argue in the Tughat uh, blog, I, I think the war is leading to reversal of the, what has been achieved in the last 30, 40 years. And uh, we would have to talk about that. We would have to, to, to invest uh, like an, an analytical um, time to, 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 to understand what's going on to the environment and how, mm -hmm. how, can, we, how can we address that uh, in, 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 in post-war situation. So yes, I will... Uh, I think I will, I know so many people are writing about the humanitarian crisis, the famine and all. So there is already, I mean, not enough focus, but there is focus on it. So it's important that yeah. someone, someone deals with something that's uh, neglected, but very as important as the humanitarian crisis itself. And potentially the Tigray, a Tigrayan, I mean, uh, does the work as well, I think is potentially yeah. important because, you know, not to obviously not to place the burden on Tigrayans who have already been burdened enough, but it's I think it's important to have that perspective from the group themselves who are who are affected as well to not have it all be from the outside uh, yeah. by outsiders. Um, and yeah, and it's just it's a shame that also reading about the last like 30, 40 years of, of Tigray like reversing and uh, the environmental damage has been done, like regreening and and I mean and, and you you put it into, into your own words as well as a, a story of like a success story environmentally as a, a kind of comeback, a big comeback for, for the region mm. and for, for like as an example of what can be done after uh, such a famine as I think it was, what, what did you say it was in 1984, 1985? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1984, 85, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I guess um, that story of resilience and of, of uh, coming back from from those bad odds um, is unfortunately being put to the test now in yeah. in terrible ways. But you know, 
I think I I hope that we can see that story kind of repeat again when, as you say, when and if this war ends, um, that we can see Tigray kind of come back a little bit from the ashes and 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 yeah and and be the resilient people that uh, that they've been in the past. Um, I hope so I th- too. Yeah, I think that we'll potentially leave it here, but uh, we would absolutely love to have you back on the show yeah. to talk some more. I mean, there's just so much more to talk about, and I'm sure over the next few months as well, uh, it'll be quite a hectic uh, time for this topic. So, Dr. Weldon Mikel, thank you so much thank for you. coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoyed the discussion. Really good questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> and um, could you maybe just quickly tell our listeners where they can find you? Uh, like, just plug a, a little bit or what to look at in terms of uh, to find news on Tigray that's reliable? Uh, so I, well, I tweet a lot. So follow my my Twitter account, at uh, G on Twitter. And uh, you can also follow... For example, omna.com, uh, omna.org, which is uh, an advocacy website where Tigrayan diaspora activists are advocating for for the mm-hmm. for Tigrayans, and also uh, another website that's very has been very crucial in, do- in terms of documenting the crisis uh, is tigrat.com. Uh, it's also sort of chron- chronicling the damage, chronicling the. Uh, How the, do you spell the, that? Sorry. Uh, Tgh at.com okay yeah so uh, as well one of my articles was uh, on that website as well like the mm-hmm. environmental impact of okay so you could follow Tugat on twitter as well twitter uh, like just at Tugat. uh it's the same with omna at omna uh, on mm-hmm. twitter so, so those are some of the the, the website the, the pages where you can find and also yeah, thank you for you that. could also follow um Tugray Hep on Twitter, which is also mm-hmm. sort of advocating for for the for Tugrayans on on media. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for for those resources. We'll we'll definitely check them out. Um, and for everyone listening, you can uh, find this episode, uh, which is right now being live streamed, but you can find it recorded and put up on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, everywhere that you listen to your stuff, on YouTube as well, if you prefer uh, watching the video version. And, uh, and yeah, we're trying to do every Tuesday at uh, around this time, maybe 5, 6 p.m. Uh, UTC on twitch.tv slash risingwiththetide. And you can also go on our website, risingwiththetide.org, uh, where you can find all of our um, episodes. We have over 40 now and uh, infographics and such. And finally, also on Patreon, where if you'd like to support the show, uh, it's now self-running, but it always helps in case uh, someone backs out and we have to <laughs> cover the costs ourselves. It's uh, Patreon slash Rising with the Tide uh, podcast, I think it's at. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Mm. All right. Tekla, thank you so much for, for coming. It's been thank a real you. pleasure thank to you. have you on. And you're welcome anytime. 